You're listening to The Peak Podcast with me, Christina Roman. We're having real, intimate conversations about the interconnectedness of life. Join us as we discuss big topics like intuition, personal mastery, and emotional wellness and why they matter for you. In this episode, my hypnotherapist, Christy Bartelt, and I chat about rapid transformational therapy, RTT for short. We talk about our subconscious beliefs and the mind. Specifically, we dig into how RTT works, myths and misconceptions about hypnotherapy, how to spot a good hypnotherapist, I believe Christy is one, who shouldn't do RTT, and how to set yourself up for success after an RTT session. We also dive into specific RTT techniques that you can use in everyday life if you're not ready for or interested in hypnotherapy. We also segue into giving and receiving feedback, how to redefine kindness in relation to feedback, the mirror technique, and refusing feedback. Christy gives four incredible pieces of wisdom on how the mind works at the very end of the episode, so be sure to listen until the end. Here are some quotes that stuck out to me from the episode. Until you have the full understanding, you can't really affect real momentous change. When clients are honest in the session, when they let themselves go all in, the best results come through. I don't know if I buy into this woo-woo mumbo-jumbo. The pain of healing has to be less than the pain of staying. And lastly, everyone has inside of them the healing that's necessary. More on all of those quotes in the episode. I hope that you enjoy. Please feel free to send any feedback my way, and I'll be sure to forward it along to Christy. Thanks for listening. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Christina. It's so good to be here with you. I am so excited to have you on. I keep telling everyone, my hypnotist is coming on. My hypnotist (laughs) is coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I hear that you're in a really good mood because you spent the weekend at a Janet Jackson concert. I did. I went to her very first inaugural concert in Vegas. She's doing kind of like a big show there. So it was amazing. I've only been to Vegas once. And the first time I was like, I'm going to hate it. It's going to be so trashy. And I went and I was like, this place is amazing. (laughs) It can be. There are parts of both of those things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, perfect. Well, we're not here to talk about Janet Jackson and concerts, although I did just tell you that I'm trying to find tickets to a reggaeton concert for my birthday. Yes, do it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I met you actually through Facebook, which is how I meet a lot of my contacts, um, which is probably not too surprising to a lot of people that I know. But I met you through a Facebook group. You came highly recommended to me as an RTT therapist. I'm already using acronyms. So I just wanted to kick it over to you and ask if you can tell us a little bit about about yourself in the context of RTT and then actually explain a little bit about what RTT is. Yeah. Well, first, RTT stands for Rapid Transformational Therapy, and that's what I am. I'm a rapid transformational therapist trained with and by Marissa Peer, who is the creator of The Method. And RTT became um, something that I wanted, I was interested in and wanted to do after I had had a session and had such a phenomenal transformation in my own personal life. Mm-hmm. And so how long ago was that? I don't actually know. Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> two years, I guess. It's been two years now since I had my own session. I had been working on my own mental health in kind of various capacities for several years by the time that I found RTT. And I wasn't necessarily looking for a hypnotherapist, although I was not opposed to anything. I had been to a different kind of hypnotist or hypnotherapist prior, maybe six or eight months before, which was a nice relaxing experience, but I hadn't really seen any changes. But what really drew me to RTT was the underlying framework of how the mind works and how we could go in and really take a look at some of the belief patterns that I had and let them go so that I didn't have to be that person I used to be. I could be what I wanted to be instead. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't that better? <laughs> um, so how exactly does the brain work and how does it work in the context of RTT and, and other forms of hypnosis? Yeah, it's such a funny thing because we're taught, you know, here's how your body works, learn to walk, learn to read, learn all of these things, but we never really learn to use our mind. So a wonderful way to that my mentor, Marissa, explains it is it's like we have this wild horse, incredibly powerful wild stallion, and we don't know how to like it might let us ride it one day or it might work with us one day, but we don't really know how to tame it or direct it. So until you understand what it's trying to do, you don't really have that capacity. But once you understand it's simple and 
all you need to understand or really the greatest common denominator to all problems that we're facing is that we're not feeling enough or lovable. Mm -hmm. And so once you understand how our brain is working, that we're feeling rejected from past events in our lives or that we've somehow learned that something wasn't available to us or that we feel different and that all of these things are kind of imprinted from childhood, we start to understand, oh, okay, so if my mind thinks these things and it's kind of like this wild horse, well, what do I have to do to tame it? Well, you first have to understand it, right? So it wants to keep you safe. It's like, okay, I don't want you to die. So we're going to take all these experiences you've had over the course of your life. We're going to make this baseline understanding of what will keep you safe in the world and out of pain. Because really your mind is always trying to take you towards pleasure and away from pain. But oftentimes that can get, those signals can get crossed because what it thinks is pain is actually change or growth. And so it keeps shying you away from them. So then when you understand your mind does what it thinks is or what's familiar to it. Oh, okay. Well, if what's familiar is every day, you know, I eat two bags of potato chips, I have to start making something else familiar. So I have to consciously kind of start changing that. Okay. So it likes the familiar. What can I make familiar in what ways? And that's how you begin to tame that horse, understanding that it likes what's familiar and it's trying to keep you away from pain. So you associate massive amounts of pain to the things you don't want and massive amounts of pleasure to the things you do. So exercise. If we're all going like, oh, every time I run a mile, it kills me. Your mind's like, mm-hmm. oh, it kills you. Cool. We don't need to do that anymore. I'm not going <laughs> uh-huh. to get you up in the morning. So that's kind of the idea of taming that, taming that beautiful, wild Mustang that you have running behind the scenes. I love it. I haven't heard you use that analogy yet, but you do have some very powerful analogies, which I'm for (laughs) sure going to make you say on this podcast very soon. Um, But that's that's new to me. So I love that. Um, I think the reason that I was so intrigued by RTT, I found out about it through a podcast. (laughs) Um, And so now I'm paying it forward. But the reason it was so intriguing to me was the idea that we have a lot of subconscious beliefs. So I am a really introspective person and my friends would agree that I, you know, talk about my feelings all the time. I always joke. I'm like, I love crying. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Um, And so just being uh, doing a lot of introspection. And when I hang out with my friends, it's just hours and hours of analyzing ourselves and digging in. And so I feel like I have the conscious skills. But what I felt like I was lacking was the subconscious insight into these beliefs that were formed in me years and years ago as a child. Yeah. I mean, does that does that feel like an accurate summary of of what RTT is, is really uncovering those unconscious beliefs? Yeah, beliefs. I agree. There's some people that are super, you know, intuitive about what's going on behind the scenes in their mind, but there's still the sticking point, right? It's like, well, why does that keep happening? Or where did that even start? Because until you have the full understanding, you can't really affect really momentous change. So yes, RTT goes back using hypnosis to basically points in time that your mind has made an imprint of some event. And when I say an imprint, it's basically a feeling imprint. So you say, you know, you like to you cry, you let yourself do that. That's <laughs> wonderful. But what Thank your mind, you. <laughs> yeah, what your mind has done is at some point in time, things happen to you and your mind makes an imprint. It's like, check that box. This is painful, right? I'm going to try to keep you away from pain. Here's the meaning I've taken from it. So we're going to shy away from this thing. So by using RTT, you go back and see where these imprints are made and a lot of times when you look at the imprint, you're looking at a child's mind taking meaning from a situation. So it's not anything that's logical. It could be related to other circumstances in their life that are no longer relevant in your adult life. So that's what it does. Yes, it goes back and it finds these imprints so that you can let them go. Mm-hmm. My experience, I've done it with you I like to say two and a half times because we had kind of a half <laughs> session, um, full value half the time. <laughs> um, and so in those two and a half sessions, I found it, maybe you can get a little into the structure of an RTT session, yeah. but I'll just say there's a moment where you are counting backwards and I have this, I freak out. And I'm like, I don't have a memory. I don't know what to do. I don't, I haven't presented with a powerful enough memory. This is all a waste of time. And then I just go, you trust Christy, you trust yourself, trust the process. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden this memory, like you said, this imprint pops into your head and it's often, I would say more often than not, it was a memory that I would never have associated with the problem that I was experiencing. Um, And then I think the really beautiful thing that I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler, but the beautiful thing that you're able to do is take the separate memories. So three or four memories and then 
have the subject, have the client digest what they all mean together. Yes. Yes. And that's and it's always super surprising to me the outcome of that. Yeah, I because I don't think you individually, if you just took one of the scenes that comes up, one of the impressions that comes up, you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess I can see how that's kind of related to the presenting problem. But when your mind pr- provides you with three or four events, and then you start seeing, oh, well, this is how I felt. And sometimes you're like, how is this even related? Like, this doesn't make mm-hmm. sense. I don't even think mm-hmm. this is relevant. You're, you are able to kind of it's like the forest for the trees, right? You step back and you're like, okay, what's the overall connection between these things? And of course, that's why it's easier to do with a guide. Most things are. You have somebody that's holding that space for you to make those connections, to kind of tease out and keep you digging a little bit until you really get the full scope of what those mean. But yeah, it kind of is mind-blowing sometimes when you take three what seem like unconnected things and you look at them from the perspective of the problem and you're like, wow, each of these things show me a different way that I've internalized a particular feeling about myself that's not even true, but is creating this issue that I'm having. Mm-hmm. So speaking of issues, so I won't go too, too far into what I came to see you for, but I'll say the most recent one was my terror of flying. I Well, wait, I'm not supposed to say I hate flying anymore. <laughs> no, you don't. You love flying. I love flying. I love flying. Um, but back in the day, aka a week ago, I didn't love flying so much. And so I came to you. So I'm just curious. I know, obviously, you have confidentiality. Yeah. Um, but what are some topics that people might come to you for? Oh, gosh, it's so varied. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's things like fears and phobias. So flying, public speaking is big. And actually, public speaking is so beautiful because it's it's a very common thing to feel nervous when you get up and speak. But there's lots of people that have had, you know, events in their childhood, especially in their early like elementary years that have really imprinted on them and they've never gotten over. So uh, public speaking. So then you extrapolate out from there from fears and phobias to things like self-worth issues um, where people are like, I just can't maintain a relationship. I can't. My friendships feel inauthentic and I'm not able to connect with people. Um, Money blocks. So people who are in business, a lot of entrepreneurs who are in business for themselves. They're like, yeah, I can make money. I can't seem to keep it or I can't keep things steady. And I'm not sure why that is. We go in and look at what's causing that. Um, oh gosh, it's just so varied. Health issues, people who are trying to be motivated to exercise, stop drinking, um, depression, anxiety. Those are big ones that have um, some some deeper meaning from childhood. It applies to a lot of different things. So pretty much anything you could think of, you can probably use for RTT. The mm-hmm. only real people that you don't work with in, in a hypnosis capacity is someone with epilepsy mm-hmm. um, who are, or is currently going through a um, psychotic episode. Okay. And why epilepsy? The epilepsy issue is more of a, a brain issue. So being in hypnosis can actually induce a seizure. Mm, in somebody okay. who is prone to seizure because you're you're doing like this internal focus the mind is kind of working working you know at a, a, cer- a certain level at a particular brainwave and that can trip an epileptic seizure okay that makes sense and then in terms of someone who's in a psychotic episode can you just i think i understand it intellectually but can you just explicitly s- explain why that's not you shouldn't be doing rtt well so we're going, we're dealing with memories, right? We're dealing with things in the past. And if you're not in a stable state, that's not a state Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to even make meaning or take really value out of what's happening or be able to reframe things. You need Mm -hmm. to be stable mentally in order to do that kind of work because it just, it requires a a level of like insight or internal awareness to separate Mm -hmm. what's current from what's in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but on our first, we did a little intro call and I was joking with somebody afterwards. I was like, well, Christy now knows more about me than a lot of people in my life because you just unearth, <laughs> you ask all these super deep questions about your your current circumstance. And so I told you a lot of stuff about my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I But I told you, I was like, I'm the perfect client because I fully believe that it will work, but I'm not attached to the outcome. Yeah. Um, and so that to me was how I knew I was ready was it was intriguing to me. It was appealing and I didn't see it as the cure all for all of my issues. Mm. It, Any, can, it can cure all of your issues, though, Christina, if you just believe that. 
Okay. Okay. So Christy always challenges me on all of my thinking every time in hypnosis and out of hypnosis. And I always walk away and I'm like, I have food for thought for three days <laughs> or, or a lifetime as the case may be. Yeah. No, I think that it's been completely eye-opening. So yeah. I don't want to sound you know I have I don't want to sound like too much of a groupie, which is you and I have got <laughs> you and I have also gotten into that. Right. Yeah. Back <laughs> My, and forth. <laughs> yes. Um, but I do want to ask so you talked a little bit, you alluded to change. And so I do have some questions around change. Um, one is can you just explain the three different kinds of change that you can expect to see with an RTT session. Yeah, absolutely. So there's immediate change. So you feel different after a session. You are done with it. And oftentimes you can be quite tired after an RTT session, but you feel lighter or you just feel different. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you know something has absolutely changed. And then mm -hmm. there's cumulative change. So that's the change in an um, RTT session. And we can go into this a little bit about the framework, but after we work together one-on-one. -on -one. I provide a personalized hypnotic recording. It's almost like a meditation for the client to listen to for a minimum of 21 days following the session. And that continues that rewiring process. So over the course of those 21 days, that cumulative change, it's like every day, oh yeah, I have this insight. I have this difference. I can see how this is changing. You know, particular relationships might be changing or whatever it is that you're working on. And then there's retroactive change. And retroactive change is the idea that after, you know, 60 days in retrospect, you can see how much has changed. But when you were in it, you weren't necessarily noticing it as it went along. So those are the three kinds of change that I see with my clients that I've seen for myself when I do sessions. And you can have one of them, you can have two of them, or you can have all of them. It just depends on the issue and the client and the particular case. I love those three different kinds of change. And I think they apply to a lot of things outside of RTT. Yes. But I, <laughs> I hung up the, or I think I was still on the call with you the first time. And I said, if nothing else changes in my life, I'm so glad I did this. And to mm -hmm. me, it was just that – and and things did change um, in a lot of different ways, but it was that immediate – I guess relief would be the word, but that immediate sense of understanding, understanding what's been in your brain for years yes. <laughs> and in your body, I guess. So I have a, I have a ton of different directions I want to go, but I did just want to say in terms of change that you don't necessarily expect – um, I had mentioned to you that I just wanted to cut down on my drinking. Like I just, I don't have any serious drinking problems, but I was just drinking more than I wanted to be. And, uh, the next time we met, I had basically, I basically don't drink now, which may change, who knows? Um, but that was super interesting to me. You and I were talking about that is I didn't come to you about drinking, but drinking naturally changed and it doesn't feel yeah. like a struggle. It didn't feel like a struggle to cut back. It just kind of happened, mm -hmm. which is exciting. Yes, that so is I, exciting. <laughs> thank you. I think things can just kind of naturally evolve, even if you're not specifically focusing on them. So that's cool to watch. Yeah. And, you know, drinking is a coping strategy for a lot of people. One that even if you don't have a problem, it can turn into one of those things where it's like, well, I'm kind of feeling down. I'll have a drink or whatever it is, yes. you know, depending on when you're doing it. So when you resolve other things, it can very naturally just change when you want to have that drink when you want to feel different. Other, apparently, Absolutely. you're just feeling great all the time. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much am. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, process, I process a lot of pain, but it's, it's even in the processing of pain, I feel so much lighter than I used to years ago. I mean, it's just a whole, it's an enjoyment of my pain, which sounds, <laughs> yeah, do you get that? I, oh my gosh. So what you've just said is exactly the thing. So many people are worried to do work like this or even mm -hmm. work with a therapist in any way because they're like, I don't want to bring up the pain, right? Mm -hmm. But if we mm -hmm. never, the pain is always there, whether you want to process it or not, it's working in some way in your life, even if you're not, you know, quote unquote, feeling it in the moment um, yes. because you're coping with it in some other way. So the fastest way to the other side of the pain is just to feel it the sadness, whatever it is, feel your feelings until they don't need to be felt anymore. And then you get to feel another feeling. People get so worried that they're going to get stuck in it. That if I feel mm -hmm. sad and let myself cry, I'm going to be sad forever. But, you know, actually you can talk to, you know, people who meditate, who are like avid meditators. The Dalai Lama talks about this. It's like a cloud. When you allow it to happen, it quickly passes through instead of something that's basically raining on you constantly without you being aware of it. Mm. I love it. I knew you were going to whip out more analogies for me. 
I mentioned, I think, fear to you, mm. fear of exposing, like you said, digging in and getting stuck in your in your sadness or your pain. Um, and what you mentioned to me was that idea that, you know, you're carrying around this piece of luggage that you're scared to look in. Yeah. And you just carry it your whole life and you never look in it because you're terrified of what you're going to find. And then and then when you look inside, you're like, oh, actually, turns out it just doesn't fit me anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can get rid of that. <laughs> Dang, I'm yeah, good. I, well, <laughs> totally. Well, you told me that you that you say all these profound. I was like, you're so profound, and you were like, well, I say all these things, but then I forget what I said, and so I don't even know my profoundness. It's true. I feel like like when I'm talking to you or in any other client, what they say brings like a, almost like an image to mind, and then I'm able to kind of connect it in that way and use an analogy to explain expand it or make it easier to understand. So then a lot of times mm-hmm. it's irrelevant or doesn't uh, translate well to the next situation, right? So they're very personal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're they're fantastic. Now they're not so personal. Now the whole world's gonna listen to them. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully you're ready for that. I'm ready. Good. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about myths and misconceptions around hypnotherapy. And I think part of that conversation will also be fears. Yeah. And so I think we've talked about one of the biggest fears, which is I don't want to unearth this, but your response and my response as well would be, hey, it's already there. You might as well look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else do you hear? Oh, I hear a lot. Um, well, we'll start with this. I don't want to be out of control. I hate being out of control. Um, mm-hmm. And an RTT session, you're not out of control because you can talk. So mm-hmm. at any point, if you were like, I don't want to do this anymore, we would stop the session. So it's not as if I've put you into this unconscious state that you're unable to take yourself out of. I mean, I think what happens is we watch movies and in movies or even cartoons, somebody gets hypnotized and they're like under the other person's control, which mm-hmm. is not what RTT is. And actually, you know, ethically speaking, unless you're a partic- I mean, there's just, there's all sorts of hypnosis in general, but really mind control is something that's much more covert. It's not something someone agrees to like, Hey, here we are. You know, if you're in an agreement to, to work with a hypnotherapist about a particular issue, you're not being covertly programmed to do something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. any, if you're really worried about this mind control stuff, it, it's not going to come to you in a session with a hypnotherapist. It's going to come mm-hmm. to you via the media, which we're, we're getting, right. We're getting that kind of kind of thing. But so you're never out of control, um, which is a huge concern that people have. And, you know, like I said, so being in hypnosis is honestly about suggestibility. And all that means is whether you're able to release old suggestions that you took on. So as a kid, we start taking on suggestions about who we are in the world. And then in a session, you get the opportunity to take on better suggestions. But in a session, you your mind still can reject those suggestions. If it's like, nope, that's not in line with my values, you just wouldn't take that on. But if it's mm-hmm. in line with what you're doing, your mind's like, cool, this is wh- where we're going, right? This is where the pleasure is. Then you take on those suggestions. And once you take on a good suggestion about yourself from your hypnotherapist, someone that you trust then you're able to take on even better, more compelling suggestions from that person. But after the session, that's over. So people also always ask if you're going to get stuck in it. And so, no, you can't get stuck in hypnosis. Actually, um, I think that maybe comes from that idea of stage hypnosis, where people are kind of just going until they're, they're asked to leave the stage or be done. But there is also a part of agreement there. Nobody who doesn't want to be hypnotized would ever go up on the stage for a stage hypnosis show. So those mm-hmm. people have already, by agreeing to it, agreed to be hypnotized for however long until the show is over. Um, so those are things that come up quite often. And a lot of people are, you know, talking about the revisiting the pain. They're worried about like being re-traumatized by things. Mm. And so the idea of re-traumatization is like you're going to live it again. Well, you can't actually live it again. Like it's not happening. There's a feeling in the mind. So your body may have the same feelings, but you're in a safe space to process them so that you can actually get to the other side instead of having them stuck in your body any longer. Mm-hmm. I also just occurred to me as you were talking that I would imagine that a lot of people would say, I can't be hypnotized. Like I'm not capable of it. Yep. Does that come up? It does. Or people questioning um, if they're hypnotized enough comes up mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. But yes, can I be, I can't be hypnotized. And that's an interesting question because um, it came up actually a lot when I was training uh, 
with Marissa. And she she's like, well, everybody can be hypnotized. If they're not allowing themselves, that's a conscious choice. If they think that they have such great control, then we actually would just show them how to put themselves into hypnosis using the same mm-hmm. methods that we use. But everybody can. If you've ever watched a movie and maybe it's an action movie and you all of a sudden jump or have a, a, physical, a physiological reaction in your body to watching the movie, you're, you're hypnotized. That's what that is. Or Hmm. it's a trance-like state. Or you're driving and all of a sudden you realize you can't remember the last like two miles because you're on Hmm. autopilot going home. That's a trance-like state. So everybody can be hypnotized. Interesting. That's a really interesting comparison. I will say from my experience, and obviously you've been on the other side, you're an RTT therapist, but have also been hypnotized. Mm -hmm. Um, It just feels very relaxing. You just feel deeply meditative. Yep. And and totally aware. So I actually correct some of my friends when we talk about it because they they have the same misconceptions that you're you've lost all control. But you've actually said some things to me in hypno in hypnosis that I've disagreed with, yep. um, and that I've you know I don't know how you would even describe them, but maybe like new thoughts that might be helpful for me mm-hmm. that I've pushed back against and just haven't felt like they were a fit. So you are totally aware and conscious and can, like you said, push back. Yeah. And a good hypnotherapist is going to, in the session, ask you things like, you know, is that true or false for you? And then you're like, Mm. oh, that's false. Okay. Well, you know, what does feel true about that? Or they're going to go a little deeper into it because you can absolutely say no. And we always want to stay on track. That's like checking your work, right? It's like going back over a test and being like, okay, did we actually Mm. get the right answers? Maybe I need to read that again. It's the same thing in hypnosis. Let's check in and make sure that we're both still on track here. And your mind will tell us if if we're not. I love that comparison. And we do that in coaching as well is when we're building out, I work with a model that's the... um, your thoughts create your feelings, your feelings create your actions, your actions create your results. (laughs) I think you're familiar, Mm -hmm. but it's from the life coach school and it's based on a lot of accumulated data from a lot of different sources, but it's really interesting. So if you're going through that, you definitely want to check back in and periodically make sure, well, if you're thinking this thought, does it actually create the feeling you think it's creating and always going back over and validating? Yeah. Just to go into the looping thought idea that your thought creates your feelings and on, on down the line, a lot of people get this idea that their thoughts are them, right? Mm -hmm. This is who I am. These are just the thoughts I've always thought. But actually, those started somewhere because if you're thinking a thought, I've always just, whatever it is, you know, hated the size and shape of my legs or I've always just been anxious. Actually, you probably weren't born that way. No baby is born (laughs) like, oh, I hate my thighs or, you know, they just, it's irrelevant to them. But somewhere along the way, they've picked up programming. They've picked up thoughts from other people. And, you know, that's either from their teachers and parents. It's from our the social media or media that they're involved in or their, you know, local community who they're around at school and in their neighborhoods. And then those thoughts, they're like, oh, somewhere along the line, that does feel like me. Okay. I'm going to keep thinking more of those thoughts. And then those create that chemical cascade, those feelings in the body. And then, like you said, that's where your actions come from. So when we can break that down, change the thoughts, you change the feelings and the behavior. I just want that to fully sink in for everyone. And I am just I always keep joking that when I'm recording these podcasts that I just am going to get off them and just sit for hours and process everything that we talked about in my own life. But just that idea, if you're thinking something that's not serving you and you think you've always been thinking it, really untangle that and really start to tease that apart as where did this actually start? And like you said, I'm just, when you said about the thighs, I'm just imagining my little niece. She's 11 months old and she has these giant, chunky little thighs. so good when they're little. Mm the best and I'm just imagining her like looking at her thighs and being like no too big yeah (laughs) it's ridiculous it is ridiculous yeah no I I love that I definitely will put that into practice in my life doing some thinking around that thank you yeah and it actually goes back to you know when you we started the podcast you said you know I'm, I'm not saying that I'm terrified to fly anymore because the problem is even saying that in a joking way even if it's like a we create these like funny little one-liners that everybody says in their life to diffuse mm-hmm. things even mm-hmm. saying that your mind's like oh we're terrified of flying it's taking meaning and creating a feeling it's like you tell somebody don't think of a pink elephant 
the first thing they do to not think of it is think of the pink elephant. Okay, that's what I'm not supposed to think about. And that's why the new framework is I love flying because, and with your coaching clients, it's the same thing. You have to choose your thoughts, right? If you want to choose your feelings and create these behaviors that you're looking for. I love that point. And I think one thing I've really taken from my life coaching program is the idea of ladder thoughts, which are basically the or bridge thoughts and ladder thoughts, which are basically if you can't fully believe something yet. So if I don't fully believe that I love flying yet, what can I say as a bridge or ladder thought in between? I hate flying and I love flying. Yeah. So I might say I'm open to the possibility that I love flying. Ooh, that's I love that. Can I jot that? Down? Isn't that? Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the show notes. So no need to write it down right now. <laughs> but no, I, and I love that idea because it's the idea that when we say affirmations or mantras to ourselves, if we're not actually believing it, we're just, it's falling on deaf ears, right? We're just saying these things over and over, but we're not actually internalizing it. Mm-hmm. And so in order to internalize it, you find a way that you actually believe. Yeah, that's really interesting to even say that now, Christina, because it connects. I had a client and we did some work together and I provide that personalized recording and she contacted me back because I always make sure that everything's okay. They can download it and they're listening. Um, And she's Mm -hmm. like, it feels too far. It's like what she Mm -hmm. wanted felt too far away from where she started. And so we made an intermediate recording between the two. It's like, I, it's like I had to dial down the expectations to more mm-hmm. moderate expectations because she needed like a stair-step approach. She needed to mm-hmm. go, and some people jump all the way, right? And some she's mm-hmm. like, nope, I need something in the middle. And that's what we did. So that's lovely. I love that I have um, language for that now. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I Life coach school. I love that your client took time to give you that feedback and took time to ask you to customize a solution for her that actually worked for her. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this all the time about I have a lot of different friends who are using a lot of different professionals for a lot of different reasons. So hypnotherapists, therapists, life coaches, career coaches etc. And I hear various, I wouldn't say complaints, but various feedback that's not always entirely positive. And my follow-up question is always, did you tell them? Yep. And nine times out of 10, they say no. Mm-hmm. And so I know it's awkward to give feedback and it's awkward to give negative feedback. But I think it really, one, it lets you have the full experience that you want to have and it helps you get the biggest bang for your buck and really make the most on your investment. Mm -hmm. But it also is, I see it as a service to the world. You're improving a coach who's going to then go out and and help other clients. Absolutely. So this goes along with, I was just talking to my, I have two little boys. I was just talking Mm -hmm. to one of them about kindness the other day. And I said, I think you might have you might be defining kindness wrong. Kindness isn't just Mm. being nice to people. Mm. Kindness is having a good intention for people. So Mm. some, like with me, if your intention is to, my intention is always to serve the client to their highest and best good. So if they're not connecting with something, they've got to tell me and I let them know, let me know if there's something, if there's something here that honesty is super important because we're all out here trying to be super kind based on some one dimensional definition of the word. When actuality, we really need to be, um, have a good intention and be honest in a kind way. I love this so much. My brain just exploded in 10 different directions per usual. <laughs> um, my, I'm bringing my old career coach onto the podcast and she, I just popped up on my LinkedIn feed that she had liked a post that was basically someone else's post saying, I really want to get rid of this term brutal honesty. Mm. We don't need it. Why don't we just be honest? And it doesn't need to be brutal. Um, Which also I was listening to another podcast. This is just my brain just creating little webs. Love it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was listening to another podcast and the, it was Aubrey Marcus and I'll put this in the show notes as well, but it, broke my brain. I just had never heard it said this way. Basically, he was saying, if we are scared of giving people, quote unquote, negative feedback, it's because we aren't able to process pain ourselves. Because if we were able to process pain, then we would trust that they could also process pain. Yes. But we are so scared of it ourselves that we don't want to subject anyone else to it. Yep. How good is that? That's amazing. Isn't it so good? It's amazing. (laughs) It's the... You can kind of, so what he's getting at and is a way that I look at the world, which is anytime I'm in not congruent with something where I'm like, oh, I don't like how that person's acting or I don't like how this is showing up in my life. I always 
flip it around and I'm like, how do I do those things? Right. So it's that same idea. If I'm not able to give this kind of feedback, it must mean that I'm not able to take that kind of feedback or process what the end result is, which could be uncomfort or pain, if you'd like to use that word. But mm-hmm. using that mirror technique is like a life changer because nobody can do anything to you then. You're like, oh, this is just a learning experience. This person at this customer service thing is acting in a way that I don't like. Ooh, when do I do that? Oh, I'm going to stop doing that. And then you have utter compassion for the other person and you get to put what would I want in this situation? It gets to be truly deeply what that is. And feedback is a great example. I I can look back and the best bosses, managers, teachers I've ever had have given me honest, direct feedback because they knew and they, they did it in a way because they wanted me to improve. And then I took it and not always, but I've learned to take that as, well, this, there's something here for me. I'm going to sit with it and then, you know, let it integrate it at the level and speed with which it wants to. I love it so much. I, um, I've been talking to some of the other students in my coaching program about how, it's hard. I mean, it's hard when you are a new coach and you're getting feedback and it might not always be positive. Um, and just learning to, to sit, like you said, whether you want to call it pain or discomfort, whatever it is to sit in that and take, I always say with feedback, you get to decide what you're going to take on, right? Mm -hmm. You can take part of it and the rest of it, you can metaphorically just give it back to them and be like, thank you so much. I don't actually want this gift. (laughs) Uh, Why why don't you take it? Um, But, but I think really picking and choosing what you're going to take on and feeling deeply. I think we, I think there's different types of people. Some people are taken all feedback. Some people are really opposed to it. And then there's, you know, some people in the middle there. Um, But I think we can, we can choose how much we're going to take on. Yeah. And the more you're in charge of your own thoughts and understanding how your mind works, the better you are able to kind of piece that out and be like, nope, that's not for me today. This is for me today. Because you don't um, get in that hurt feelings place of, I don't know, personally, I see the world, people are giving me from their own well, right? So they're either giving me from their pain well, and I can decide whether it's something that I need to do, or I can just be like, oh, that looks like a place where maybe that's touching them too. And I can, like mm-hmm. you said, give that back to them because it's something they're still working through. But mm-hmm. you have to be, you know, with clients, when they're honest with me, when they're honest in the session, when they let themselves go all in, the best results come through. Mm-hmm. when they, you know, speak up for their needs. And a lot of times we're, I'm working with clients who are just learning how to do that. So giving mm-hmm. somebody that opportunity is important to them because they don't yet know. So if I have a client that comes through in their session, I very am very explicit with, if you don't like something in the recording, if you need mm-hmm. something from me, please reach out. I'm available. And I let them know this is a good time to practice getting your needs met with your voice so that they can see where that's also a place for them to start dialing in and, and changing things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about all of that in terms of coaching as well, where I think as a, as a practitioner, so as a coach or as a hypnotherapist, you can, you can do your best to make sure that people know that you're open to that feedback. Like you said, saying explicitly, if there's something in the recording that you don't want, let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tried to do that. And so one of the questions that I ask, so I always ask at the end of a session with a client, I say, is it helpful to hold you accountable or to check in with you um, in a certain length of time? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it'll be a week out, sometimes it'll be a month out. And then when I do those check-ins, I basically have two sections. It's if this, if you did this thing that we talked about, how did it go? What is the update there? But if you didn't do it, what's standing in your way? And I think just that question is what's standing in your way? Really, if someone is willing to do that work, it just prompts you to actually dig deeper and think about why you might be avoiding something or why you might not be acting on something. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I do too. I ask myself that a lot. <laughs> um, Liz, who's my the career coach that I will bring you, be bringing on the podcast as well, she sent me an article that's basically the idea that when we're procrastinating, we're not just lazy. It's that we are actually avoiding specific emotions. And so yep. I think about all my procrastination through that lens now. Yeah. it 
It absolutely is. It's interesting because I read an article not too long ago about ADHD and procrastination, and that a lot Mm -hmm. of people think that procrastination is part of their ADHD and not just something that's happened because of it, where people have um, critiqued their work for not being done, you know, take your time and, or why can't you focus on this? So in order to avoid the pain of what was felt like a lot of criticism, especially as a child, when you're most vulnerable to those kind of things, they've learned Mm -hmm. to procrastinate because if they don't start, then they don't have, they, they can say, well, I didn't start that's where the pain is going to stay. It's not going to be in the pain of, I couldn't do it well enough because of this thing that I have. So it's like mm-hmm. a pain swap, right? And it's a lot easier to deal with the procrastination for them than the idea that they're a failure, which is how they're, a lot of those people are made to feel as kids. So then they create these coping strategies that aren't really helpful. That's so interesting. I definitely have to read that article. We can we can article swap here. All right. <laughs> um, but I also just wanted to do a plug for uh, The Artist's Way. You and I have oh, talked yeah. about this. Mm-hmm. It's a, a book by Julia Cameron, but it's about discovering and recovering. I memorized her tagline. Discovering <laughs> and recovering the creative within, I think it is. Mm. Um, but it's basically, to me, it's a really interesting antidote to all of that perfectionism and procrastination for in the creative sense. So you get to kind of rediscover your creativity yeah. um, in a private setting mm-hmm. and see how that then transforms publicly in your life, yeah. if at all. Yeah, I love it. I do want to go back to something you mentioned. So we don't have this on our little prep sheet that I gave you ahead of time, the Christie <laughs> file. Um, but you mentioned something about a good hypnotherapist will do X, Y, Z. So I actually would love for you. I think you're a great hypnotherapist. I think people should come to you if you're a fit for them. You're awesome. In terms of pinpointing the right hypnotherapist or mm-hmm. being on guard for anyone who might not be on the up and up, how would you, what advice would you give? I think you have to trust that innate sense that you know something isn't right. So mm-hmm. it's rapport. Hypnosis is about rapport, that I am listening to you, that I understand your words, and that I can basically feed back to you what it is in order to find out what's underneath. So that is a rapport piece. So, you know, you meet somebody and you're like, oh, things just clicked. They felt right. It's the same with mm-hmm. a hypnotherapist. If the rapport is there, they answer your questions. They're straightforward with what they're going to do. Um, they tell you whether they can, you know, I've had clients in the past who are like, well, here's my issue. And I've said, well, I've never worked with that before. And they're like, that's okay. I want to work with you because I like you. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> I'm, you know, let's do it. But that's that rapport piece, right? That's that knowing. And not everybody's practiced that. I always tell people, um, I had a consultation call this morning. And at the end, I'm like, now now it's time for you to check in with your intuition. Is working together the right fit for you? And if it is, you know, here are your options. Um, because I feel like the only thing that really sells somebody, I'm not going to go out and say particular words or do a particular thing. I want them to connect with me because that's the only way that we're really going to get out of the session what they're looking for. And so that's, that's what it is. It's that rapport that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Same thing with a coach is you could learn this methodology from one of however many people out there who are practicing it, mm-hmm. but it's really about that rapport and feeling like my style and the way that I use this tool. So you're using RTT as a tool. I'm using mm-hmm. the, the self-coaching model, but the way that we're actually using it in practice, does it connect with you as a, as a potential client? Yeah. So I obviously think everyone can benefit from an RTT session, but I also want to be very cognizant that this podcast does not become just a bunch of different modalities and me promoting a bunch of different things. So one of my big goals with the podcast is to share strategies that someone can use in their everyday life if they're, let's say they're not ready for an RTT session or maybe they'll never be at a place where they want to do it. So two of the things that you and I have talked about, which I love from RTT, are the idea, that's not me. Yeah. And then the idea of thanking the part of you that's protecting you. So we can take those one at a time. Can you just explain those two concepts first with uh, that's not me? Yeah. So to kind of go back. So during um, RTT is a methodology created by Marissa Peer, and it is a basically a, com- a composite of different modalities kind of like stacked together, different frameworks stacked together, even like different coaching tools 
that you use while you're in this trance state. So you're accessing this subconscious deep part of yourself, your feeling mind. And so that's not me is a pattern interrupt. So when we identify a pattern, we need to interrupt it. So when you look at neuroscience, neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more you think or do an action, it becomes more deeply ingrained, like a rut in the road or something. So in order to break that, once we have established, okay, here's the memory that you have, then you're looking at that's not you and it's not you any longer because, and you're you're looking at it's almost like simultaneously, this is what this thing is that I kept thinking was me, but now that's not me because, and then you allow yourself to answer that. How do you know that's that old person, that old part of you isn't you anymore? And then your mind puts an ending on that. And that's a pattern interrupt. That's a way to fire new neurons together to wire a different neural network, basically, because you're basically saying the words in and of themselves are telling your mind that isn't who I am anymore. I'm not that whatever that was in that suitcase that I opened up, that's not me anymore and I don't need to keep it. Mm -hmm. So you can use that consciously. So, you know, after a session, I'll often tell clients, you know, sometimes uh, after a session, you'll have kind of your mental Rolodex will kind of start going and you come up with a few other memories even while we're not working together. And you're like, oh, this fits that pattern. This fits that pattern. And if you look at it and then you say, that's not me, and that's not me because, and you put an ending on it, you're continuing to pattern interrupt that situation. So you can use it consciously and subconsciously while in a session. And it really is a pattern break to show you what your, what your, the old you was versus the new you. Mm-hmm. Love that idea. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you for that explanation. And can you also go into the idea of thanking the part of you that was designed to protect you? Yeah. So people get um, very – so the idea the, – here's another thing that people have pushback on. A lot of t- the times when we're working with like physical pain, like migraines particularly, when somebody has migraines, it's almost always because they're not allowing themselves rest or relaxation or recharging um, unless they have a physical reason to do it. So when we look at that problem that's causing, in this case, physical pain, um, people can be like, oh, I'm so mad that I created that. When in actuality, what really is helpful is thanking that part of yourself for trying to protect you, for creating a coping tool when you didn't have one, for being a voice for you. So having that gratitude for what you're unconscious mind tried to do. It's like trying its best. It's like a little kid, you know, they try to bake a birthday cake, right? And you come downstairs and the cake is lopsided and there's eggshells in it. Well, it wasn't what the end result was. It was all the effort and love they put into trying to do it. And that's what you're thinking. It's the same idea of thanking that little kid. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for making me a birthday cake. You hopefully wouldn't be like, but you did it really terribly. (laughs) And you might think that in your mind, but you never say that to the kids. So this part of you that's really been putting all this work into helping you, the first thing you want to do is thank it. Thank you. My goodness. I appreciate you trying to do that. Now we can do something different though. And it really, um, it feels different. I mean, I, Christine, I think you can speak to that. It feels a lot different to hold yourself responsible for creating pain or to thank it for what it was trying to do. It has a different Mm -hmm. quality to it. It's a it's compassion. I mean, it, that's what that is. That's compassion one hundred and one, right? A hundred percent. I mean, I I remember when we first did it in a in a session, and it's just it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that some people listening might have some pushback or like eye rolling, <laughs> any kind of response that's that's like, oh, well, that's nice, but that's really airy fairy, or like, mm. no, I'm not going to go thanking parts of my body. Yeah. Um, which I get. Mm-hmm. I. I have this kind of dual, very intuitive, but also really skeptical part of me. So (laughs) um, I totally understand that. So how I just I want to make sure that one, I guess this is twofold. One is you explaining things in the way that you explain them and really sticking to that um, because that's who you are and that's the practice that you've developed and also making it really accessible to people who might be struggling with this idea. Sure. Is there anything you can add into that is other than what I always say, which is just 
don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Take the parts that yeah. resonate with you and feel free to leave the rest. But is there anything else you'd like to add there? It's really funny that you kind of brought that back around, which is good. I was just this last weekend, I was spending time with some friends from, you know, a different stage in my life than I'm in right now. And mm-hmm. I, I think I might have mentioned something like this. And they're, you know, you get that feeling like, what? Come on. It's kind of the idea like, <laughs> if you just use an essential oil, you'll be healed. Like it's that idea. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the problem is, I said this at the beginning of the episode, we're not taught how to use our minds. Our minds are incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Our minds create things and uncreate them all the time without us being consciously aware of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't believe me, then do this or not even believe, but if you're like, ah, I don't know if I buy into this woo woo mumbo jumbo, yeah. you can do <laughs> this idea of thanking your issue on your own. So if you have something, that you're working through, get a journal out and write down, how is this issue, my friend? Mm -hmm. And write down ways that you never thought it might be helping you. You know, I get to take a break from my kids when I do this. I get to take a day off when I feel sick, when I, every time I have a project due afterwards, I get, you know, the stomach flu or I come down with a case of laryngitis. Well, my body needed rest that it didn't know I was going to give it. Maybe there's ways that you could list it's being your friend. And then you might have a different understanding of how this thing could be there for you. And I think it makes it a lot more apparent when you can see that it happens consciously too. And that's the same idea of thanking it, right? Oh, here's all the way it is helping me. So I'm going to thank it for that, but I'm going to do it in a different way now. So I think that's part of it. But, you Mm -hmm. know, neuroscience it backs all of this up. So uh, there's a gentleman that I follow who is here at the University of Madison. I live in Wisconsin. And his name is um, Dr. Davidson. And he's a neuroscientist, but he works studying how meditation affects the brain. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they even look at pain response based on meditation. So they did a study where they induced a pain response using um, kind of a plate that they put on the inside of a wrist. And it would create uh, the sensation of like being burned by 120 degrees or something like that. Something pretty significant. And they tested the brain reactivity and activity of people who were seasoned meditators and people who weren't seasoned meditators. And the people who hadn't put the effort into kind of developing their brain and practicing being non-attached to outcomes uh, and thoughts, when you have that deep meditative practice, their pain response was only at the time the pain was induced. And the people who hadn't been long-term meditators had pain when they were told it was about to happen. Their pain increased when it actually happened, and their pain level continued even after the pain was removed. And they show the spike is so different between the two. So when you see that your brain can create the feeling of pain, literally, it can be measured in your brain, then you understand that what I'm talking about is absolutely true as well, that these old thoughts and feelings are also creating a pain. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional for you because they're there. And you have to let them go. So I don't know if that gets to answering your question, but I felt like it was a relevant point to be made that there's actual science showing how our brains do these, make they create your reality based on your thoughts and the way you feel about things like pain. Yes, that absolutely touches on a lot of the things that I think about in terms of the science behind these ideas. And um I love the meditation example. I always think about the book Thrive. So my sister didn't use to meditate. And then she, you know, I would talk about it and I would talk about the different, anecdotally, the experiences. And then she read the book Thrive by Ariana Huffington, which has a lot of the science. Mm -hmm. And so that was what she needed. She needed the science in order to be fully convinced, which is totally fair. Um, And so I think to your point, there is a lot of science out there about – brain brain states and brain waves absolutely and meditation so i think for um i guess i would say for anyone listening who it doesn't relate to any kind of what we call woo-woo language there are plenty of scientific resources out there to check into yeah and if hypnosis isn't your thing honestly if you're not meditating do yourself a favor that is the easiest way to start working with your mind 
And there's mm-hmm. all different, I like to say flavors. I, I teach meditation. I taught it before. It was what got me into understanding and being interested in the mind in the first place. Um, and hypnosis is kind of like meditation on steroids. It really is not a lot different than meditation. It's an internal focus and a relaxation, which is exactly what meditation is. And there is, we live in an amazing time. There is science that is so incredible. We used to think that our brains were set in stone at 12 years old, that our personalities were what they were and they were never going to change. And we know now that that is absolutely not true. And that is so freeing and liberating that we can change. And so start with meditation. If this is, you know, this is above your pay grade at this point, go and and start meditating. Mindfulness, excellent entry point into meditation. And it doesn't have to be related to a religion or a particular, you know, culture or anything like that. It is just understanding that you are not your thoughts and you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And that's not me anymore. Basically, that's what that is right Mm -hmm. there. And thank you, thoughts, for trying to help me. You can apply everything we just talked about that we do in hypnosis to meditation because a lot of people don't meditate because they say, I can't, my mind won't clear. Yep. That's actually not what meditation is about. (laughs) Meditation is not about having a clear mind. Meditation is about allowing and a non, non non-judgment of the thoughts that do come in. And then a recentering basically and anchoring back into trying, coming back to the present moment and coming back again for as long as you sit to meditate. That's all it is. It's a returning to presence over and over again. Yes. Love it. I need a podcast just dedicated to meditation for sure. So that will come up at some point. (laughs) I have this post that I wrote, which is basically the cult of dot, 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 fill in the blank. And it's this idea that we have all these different voices around us saying, well, if you just do this, 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 whatever. So I, you know, I wrote a bunch of different examples. I wrote RTC or intuitive writing or meditation, all these things Mm -hmm. that people or essential oils, which you talked about. All these things that people say, you know, if you do this, then it's going to solve all your problems. And I think I think you would agree, and I would be very curious if you don't, but pick and choose the things that resonate with you. Yeah. Sometimes pick the thing that doesn't resonate with you because there might be a learning experience in there. And don't do things that make you uneasy, right, in the fundamental intuitive level. Yeah. And there, I always just say these are all modalities. These are all mechanisms to ground you in the present moment and really connect your mind, body, and spirit. That's what they all are. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, there, there's not a better way to say that, Christina. That is, I agree wholeheartedly. You take what is meant for you in the moment because the amazing thing is there might be a layer in there that when you read it or review it now, doesn't, doesn't work for you now, but six months or a year later, you're like, oh, wait, there was that thing. And then that's the right time for it. Mm-hmm. And you just leave it, and yeah, you just leave it until you're ready. Yes, I. That's how I was with morning pages. I I've told you of my obsession now, but I was mm-hmm. the first time I did them. I did them for a few weeks, and I. So in case anyone listening doesn't know what they are, they're just four or sorry, three pages of unscripted, just basically brain dumping in the morning before you get into your day. And I did them with my mom, and I hated every single moment of it. I hated it so much, and so I quit. <laughs> and then I picked it up three years later and it is the biggest joy I look forward to having my cup of coffee and doing my morning pages in the morning and I will I will totally talk about morning pages to anyone who will listen yeah. but I will I will never say or if I do say I try to catch myself this is the answer yeah because I don't believe that there is an answer and it's this is the answer for you right now right yes yeah I think it's a really good point to be to not even buy into your own cult fully in that way, right? Knowing that you're flexible and fluid. I was just listening to a podcast with Tim Ferriss and Neil Gaiman, and uh, he said Neil Gaiman said very specifically, "This is my process for writing now. This is what it used to be, mm-hmm. and I would be totally open to it being this different way that I think is impossible in the future. I love it. I always say anytime I have any strong opinion, I'm like, I reserve the right to change my Absolutely. Mind. Writing in pencil, not pen. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love it all. Um, so I, as my last question specifically about RTT, I just want to have you talk for a minute about how to really set up a support system. If you do decide that RTT is the thing that you want to do right now, how do you set up a support system so that you have a positive experience 
afterwards. Yes. So this is going to vary from person to person. So you have to look at yourself. What kind of support do I generally need? Do I need someone to process with? Maybe you need to have a therapist. Maybe you already have a therapist that you're working with that you're going to take some of the things from RTT back into that therapy to, you know, talk through. Or you have a trusted friend that you're going to tell them, this is what I'm doing. Would you mind meeting occasionally because you have good insights for me? Um, Or if it's somebody who knows that they are an internal processor, what maybe they're going to ask for particular books or I'm going to suggest books that are going to help them and kind of continue that process forward. But you have to take stock of how do I, how have I in the past dealt with things well or not so well? And what I what would I have needed instead? So when you first look at who you are, then you can kind of understand, do I do best with um, books that expand on a particular topic? Do I do best talking through things? Do I do best writing things out? What is that? And then set yourself up to do those things after the session. And then you, when you work with an RTT therapist, when you work with anybody who, you know, when you're doing this kind of work, a coach, any of that, you already know when I come out of that coaching, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for myself. Because when you have a plan going in, then you can execute on that. But if you don't have a plan, that's where things can kind of get a little murky. And, you know, Christina, you know how this is in anything. When you set an intention of what it's going to look like for you and you kind of think it out in advance a little bit, you don't have to be too thorough or stuck in it. But that's really the way you set yourself up to have a good experience. Um, And, you know, some people, everybody comes to this at a different level or, or comes to me at a different level in their healing journey. So whatever is appropriate for them at that time, I would encourage. And it really depends on what they're, what we're working on that would um, indicate the support system that they might particularly need. But I, if, mm-hmm. whenever somebody says, I'm not telling anybody about this, I say, well, we're not, I'm not ready to work with you until it's not mm-hmm. a secret. Mm, I love that so much. I have another blog post. I'm not just, I didn't just make this podcast to shamelessly promote my blog post. I feel like your blog posts are amazing. I love them. (laughs) I mean, but I have a post, which is I live for the day where you can say, I see a therapist, I see a coach, I have an RTT therapist. And then you can say to someone, have you thought about a therapist? Have you thought about a coach? Have you thought about hypnosis Mm -hmm. with no negative connotation or stigma attached to it? So yes. Yeah, I love that idea. And and I think about that too as a coach is those clients that you have to say, listen, I really appreciate that you've come to me and I, and I don't think that you're ready to work with me. Mm-hmm. This is just a thought based on what you just said that it strikes me that a lot of the reason that you go to a practitioner in any of these different areas is for additional insight mm-hmm. and additional awareness. But you do, I think, often have to have a base level of awareness because to your point, if somebody doesn't even know how they handle different situations, if they don't know how they handle a situation well or how they handle a situation poorly, then they wouldn't be able to necessarily create the support system for themselves. And so to me, it's – you like you said, you have to be in a stable, somewhat aware place in order to move into these – different modalities. Do you agree with Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I also, it takes a certain level of pain to go and start doing healing, mm-hmm. right? The pain of healing has to be less than the pain of staying. So mm-hmm. that's usually where somebody, it's not like everyday people wake up like, ah, go see a hypnotherapist today. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's something that's right. happening. There's a pain point in their life that they're just not willing to deal with anymore. So, you know, you're ready to work with a hypnotherapist when you're really like an eight on the pain scale. If you want really stellar results, if you're an eight on the pain scale for your issue, like here I am, I'm ready. I'll do whatever it takes. You're ready to completely heal. That's not to say somebody can't be helped if they're not an eight, um, but the results are different. I I love the discomfort. So I accidentally created an acronym. I swear this was accidental, but basically guide, G-U-I-D-E. Um, but I was thinking about what is what is a coach really? What are they doing in your for you in your life? And what I came up with is they're guiding you through the inevitable discomfort of evolving. Yeah. Guide. But I mean that really is fundamentally what coaching or or therapy are. I always say I'm a guide. I'm literally just to really? guide you through the subconscious process. I have the questions yeah. to ask and I have the the reframes you know, and the letting go mechanisms built baked into it, but I'm just guiding you. 
It's all mm-hmm. everybody has inside of them the healing that's necessary. We just have to get the other stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. I concur wholeheartedly. <laughs> I think you're a really incredible mirror, which do, I don't even think that word does justice for everything that you do. I think you're a synthesizer. Ooh. You listen deeply, you synthesize, and you're able to reflect back in a really incredibly powerful way, um, which I think makes you an incredible person, thank but you. also an incredible RTT therapist. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I was just having this conversation <laughs> with another RTT therapist. And uh, I think the more I do that with myself, the easier it is to do it with other people. And I, all of these things that I say or do with my clients are absolutely things that I practice on a daily moment to moment basis for myself. Yes. Ditto. I'm self-coaching all the time. Sometimes I have to be like, listen, Christina, no more thinking for today. (laughs) I could keep going and going, but I want to make sure I respect everyone's time. So real quick, before we, before we sign off, do you have a book recommendation? I know you mentioned that you recommend different books for different clients based on their situations, but do you have just a favorite book that you would recommend to anyone listening? Oh my gosh. I just love books so much. That's such a hard question for me. (laughs) I'm going to go with the book I'm reading right now because I think it is amazing. And I think I even told you about this book, but it's called Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender by David Hawkins. It is incredible. And the reason it's incredible is, um, it really talks about emotions. It talks about the stages of emotions and allowing them to process so that you can let go because it is through the emotions that you get to the understanding and the learning and actually like the leveling up. Um, So it's a phenomenal book and it may not resonate for everybody, but someone listening is going to take value from it and it's going to change their life because it's that kind of book. I love it. Thank you so much. Please feel free to write in if you're the listener whose life it changes, and then we'll pass. I'll forge your email to. Christy oh, I would so love she that. Feel great. <laughs> um, and speaking of emailing or contacting, um, what is the best way for people to be in contact yeah. with you if they are interested the, in chatting? The best way, um, you can go to my website, Christy Bartelt, and Bartelt will be in the show notes. You don't have to learn yes. that right now. So, ChristyBartelt.com. I have a link to schedule a free consultation if you want to talk about whether RTT is a fit for you and what you're maybe struggling with or trying to let go of. Um, You can also find me on Instagram at Christy Bartelt as well. And I do a little posting there. I'm getting better at it. It's such a fun tool. Actually, I really like Instagram. And then I also have a Facebook page. And the, but the best way is really to set up a consultation. I love that. Whether we work together or not, the 30 minutes, I guarantee you'll gain some insight. I guarantee it too. <laughs> Second, I put my stamp of approval. <laughs> this message has been proved by Christina Rubin. Perfect. No, don't mess up. <laughs> no, this was super fan. I'm, I love it so much. I obviously expected this to be an incredible conversation and it was. So thank you so much. Any closing thoughts before we sign off? I have four points that I'm going to make. Here's the four ways the mind works that you can start working with it. The mind does what it thinks you want it to do. So what are you telling your mind you think that you want it to do? And maybe you need to change that. The next one is it responds to the words and pictures you tell it. So give yourself better words and pictures. It drives you towards what is familiar and away from what is unfamiliar. So sometimes it's moving you away from the unfamiliar just because you've never done it. So you need to choose what you want to make familiar and you need to start doing that in your life. And then last but not least, it does all it can to keep you alive on the planet and away from pain. So if there's something that you want to let go of, associating pain with that thing versus pleasure is going to help you get rid of it faster. That was so beautiful. Thank <laughs> You're you. You're welcome. I did not I did not anticipate that. <laughs> it's been so awesome to be with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm staring at my whole list of resources. I'm so excited to go type everything up and and share this episode with everyone. I know people are going to get a lot. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Your support helps this podcast grow. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and then head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It is so much appreciated, and I will see you on the next episode.